You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing and uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, how are you? Man, what a pathetic open that sounded like. But I know you're you probably tapped all your beers uh, following this Aubrey Solomon news, Shane. The news has finally come down. First uh, reported there by VolQuest. Austin Price over there reported the news. Aubrey Solomon, defensive lineman, eligible for Tennessee. He's going to be a starter without a shadow of a doubt here. What was your reaction when you finally heard this after nine months of waiting? Oh, I needed some good news today, Mark. You know what I'm saying? I've been dealt some bad news here lately, and uh, this is what I needed. The NCAA finally doing something right now. Are we? Has this been a hundred percent confirmed, or is this just? Um, I mean, because I, I haven't, don't know if it's, I haven't seen the university tweet anything. They have not, so I don't know what's up with that. But there've been several people reporting it, so I assume it's good to go. I don't really know why they would hold this back. This is something that I. I assume that the university was just going to announce itself. So yeah, it is interesting that they have yet to do that. But you know, as we're recording, they, they have yet to do that. Uh, but it sounds like Solomon's good to go for 2019. Dude, that's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, heard anything about Trey? Just you know, so if we're getting, maybe there's just some extra positive stuff coming out. Well, I think it's just like. Uh, you know, Pruitt said the other day, it's going to be a game-time decision for him. Okay. And I think if you, you know, read between the lines, Shane, what that means is, uh, I mean, they're just probably daily, you know, giving him metal, uh, medical exams and checking with them. And, you know, all indications are they plan to start him and they plan to play him. But Do you, you know, think that's what it is? Do you think, do you think like right now he's good to go? But they're going to keep testing him daily and then up to the game. As long as everything's fine, he'll play. But if something comes back just a little off, they're going to hold him out just to be safe. Do you think it's more like that? I think that's exactly what it is because we got to think, Shane. I mean, this is a serious medical issue. Mm -hmm. This is something that's running his family. For those that don't know, his mother passed away. I think she was only like 40 or, or oh, wow. she, she was very young of age and it wasn't necessarily this but i know it was some kind of heart condition mm-hmm. so i mean this is serious business here they they're not going to risk him i mean he's if he's good to go i mean he's going to be making millions of dollars here in the nfl you know i mean he's going to be a first rounder so this is uh not something i mean and and just obviously beyond football i mean they're not going to risk his life you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. Uh, i think it's just something that the and i don't think it's going to be just this game one, I think it's going to be like this the whole year because okay. obviously he played last season and then they came back. Yeah, remember? so that's true. I think they have a different medical plan, and obviously his his just from everything we've seen on the practice field and everything, his conditioning is better. So they've obviously changed the approach, and mm-hmm. but that's why I, I think that's specifically why they said that game time decision. That that's the only thing that makes sense to me after you know nine months off season. They they surely they wouldn't you know. <laughs> up to the game week not have some kind of indication that's true that's true i like it mike just keep keep sending that good news vibes i like that mike <laughs> <laughs> well uh, staying here on the good vibe shade 
uh, big news here for Kentucky. We don't have a clip or anything, so we're not getting around the league just yet. But uh, Wildcats landed LSU defensive back Kelvin Joseph Shane. This is the guy that in the offseason, you know, he said he was in the portal. His mm-hmm. dad said he wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. That it looked like he was going to go to Florida. Now he's sound. It's official. He's going to Kentucky. This is a former U.S. Army All-American, top 100 recruit. The Wildcats having uh, some struggles on the defensive backfield, just replacing all four starters this year. Unfortunately, Joseph is not going to be eligible for this season. But I think he's got three years left to play. I think I think that's a huge pickup for Kentucky. Dude, that's huge. They said this is the highest-rated recruit that they've ever had in Kentucky. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just something I read on Twitter today. Well, there you go, Shane. If it's on Twitter, it must be true. It must be. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying Dan Wolken tweeted it out, but, <laughs> you know, I did read it somewhere. Maybe it was the highest-ranked defensive back. I don't know. But, damn, he's an athlete, and you know Kentucky fans are pumped up to have this guy back. All right, Shane. You ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the league. We haven't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. You know, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our play. I mean, it's just like right. I mean, you just hear it over and over, and you know, like every other, every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice. So you just uh, you get used to it. It's, it's a catchy tune, right? I mean, this game's going to be a street fight. This game's going to be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat. Launch bail. Let's get to work. All right, Shane, let's start here in Oxford. miss. We're old Matt Lukes met with the media here recently. And uh, I thought he had some interesting things to say. I know we've been talking about how big Alex Givens, the starting right tackle, had not having him for training camp, potentially not having him for this Memphis game. If they don't have their senior right tackle, they're starting a true freshman out there. That could be a disaster. Matt Luke gives the latest on Alex Givens' status. And he also talked about some JUCO players, Shade. You know, there's a lot of open positions, at least there was uh, this offseason there in Oxford. And, you know, junior college players, we all know this, a real hit or miss, but it sounds like they got some real winners down there. Already got three starters from their signing class of uh, 2019. Uh, so here's uh, Matt Luke. And uh, I think we're coming out of camp uh, relatively healthy. Um, I think the biggest question mark is still Alex Givens, just trying to uh, try to integrate him. He's been doing a bunch, a bunch of walkthroughs, you know, a bunch of stuff conditioning-wise, doing everything he can. I think he's still going to be day-to-day at this point, probably no more Tuesday and Wednesdays. We try to integrate him back into the practice. So I think he'll be day-to-day, but should be able to tell you more on Wednesday, a little bit more definitive on him. But other than that, we're pretty healthy. Coach, going back to Alex, is it actually that realistic to have him play if he's not practicing at all? Uh, Yeah, again, so him being his experience gives him a chance to do that. Obviously, your biggest concern is, uh, you know, just his conditioning. So we've been doing a lot of that, building a base so he's not starting from, from ground zero. But I think his experience gives him a chance to do that. Matt, I know that uh, you recruit JUCO guys to make an immediate impact. I mean, you look at the depth chart here on the defensive side of the football, you've got three JUCO guys that are listed as starters. Just talk about that a little bit and how you guys may have hit on those guys. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought we did a really good job with uh, identifying some guys that could come in and help us. Uh, you know, and you, you, know, you think, you know, Jonathan Haynes, Sam Williams, Lakia, they pop out. You know, Dontario Drummond, you know, you don't count Scotty because he was already here, but that's another one. So, so we've had some guys, and I think when you do recruit junior college guys, you're recruiting them to come in and play. That's, that's what you're telling them when you're recruiting them, and that's the truth. You're not, if you want to build up a guy, you're taking a high school guy, but for immediate needs, I think junior college is, is very, very important. I think we have hit there and looking forward to some of those guys stepping in and, and being, you know, a big, big part of uh, offense and defense. All right, Shane. So, Matt Luke sounded – I don't know. Based on this, I don't know if Alex Givens is going to go or not. I'm I'm leaning towards no. I'm kind of – I know you said that in the past, but you talk about an offensive lineman with a, just had a lower back surgery. I don't know how he's going to be able to go. But on the bright side, 
guys like Lakia Henny, some of these junior college players they got coming in, already making making a name for themselves down at Oxford. Uh, if nothing else, that's giving me some optimism going into this Memphis game. You know what makes me optimistic about this is the fact that you know something he talked about. The transfers will start. That's why you get them. And, you know, if you're going down to this JUCO level and this is where you're pulling, I mean, because there is talent in the JUCO level. And these guys can see that, hey, if I go to this school, I'm going to be starting. there. I'm going to get some playing time. Because a lot of times you'll see them transfer in and then they sit out for a year. Right. You know, and if, the, if this, this could be a good recruiting tool for them down there. I mean, they're in the perfect spot, dude. They're loaded with talent down there in the JUCOs. Yeah, Ole Miss, Mississippi State have a strong track record of uh, just identifying the right guys at those schools and getting them up and getting them ready to play. So, I mean, just this just seems to be a, a tradition like few others here in the SEC, and it, it looks like Ole Miss is going to benefit from it once again. Yeah, for sure. But all right, sticking here in Oxford, Shane, Rich Rodriguez, offensive coordinator, he met with the media as well. And I thought this was some interesting stuff he had to say. Obviously, that's kind of the biggest thing. The coordinator changed there at Ole Miss. I don't know that fans are particularly expecting Mike McIntyre's defense to just kind of come in and be gangbusters because he just doesn't have quite as much to work with. Mm-hmm. But if you flip over to Ole Miss, I mean, that offense, yes, they did lose a ton of pieces, but they, they've got some talented guys in there. Rich Rod, obviously, I think a little bit bigger name. That's the key. I think everyone's really curious to see what Matt Corral does, what this offense does. Uh, so I just thought this uh, this clip, I thought it would be worth sharing here. So this is Rich Rod on using tempo as a weapon in his offense. And then just on Matt Corral and first-year starting quarterback in his system, what the Rebel fans should be expecting here. I know you like to go fast, and most guys in the RPO game do, but what dictates to you when you want to slow it down, or do you? Well, um, obviously part of our philosophy, and this is talking with, with Coach Luke as well, and mine has always been you want to be able to control the tempo as best you can. And then if you have a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter, you know, you try to do what, you know, try to win the game. And so that's always kind of been my thought process was let's try to get a two-score lead in the fourth quarter and then, you know, then, then at that time. But controlling or dictating the tempo is not just going fast all the time. It's changing tempos up throughout the course of a game. But you have to practice going fast. Um, in order to, I think it's always harder to slow down than it is to speed up. And so from day one, we've tried to have, be able to, to, to go faster at times. And, and Memphis will be used to that because they, they've done it, and Coach Norvell has seen it for a long, long time. But for us, it's, um, it, it hasn't been something totally new because I think they've done some of that in the past. But for us, we've, we've worked hard on different tempos uh, since uh, spring practice. In your experience with first-time starting quarterbacks, especially really young guys, is there, has there been a difference in what's possible playbook-wise first quarter to third quarter? How, how much do you have to kind of read his mental and emotional state to know what you can even you try to do? You Saturday afternoon. Maybe I could tell you a better <laughs> answer. Um, I do think, you know, again, just the way we go about uh, doing it, uh, you know, and, and if it's a first year in the system, they're almost all freshmen. I think the difference is if you had a junior class-wise type of quarterback, he'd have a lot of his fundamentals down, a certain maturity and all that. But, you know, when you're a new system, it's new for everybody. And having done this, you know, four or five different places, um, always the first year is the most difficult. Uh, particularly as coaches, we got to make sure we don't do too much because we can think too much and try to overwhelm mentally. Um, so we're ta- we've taken steps back, but our, our guys, again, have handled, uh, have done as much mentally as I could have hoped at this point. And as, as we go forward throughout the season and certainly throughout the next couple years, we'll, we'll be able to do more and more with them. And that's the exciting part. All right, Shane. So I don't know if you picked up on this, but I kind of thought it was interesting how Rich Rod kind of noted you know, this is going to get better. You know, I mean, it seems like he's already pumping the brakes. Like, you know, we're not going to be gangbusters, but just imagine how good we're going to be in a year with everybody in the system for a second year. So, I mean, maybe he's just trying to, you know, he doesn't want fans to think they're they're just going to be running wild here. But they they do got some backs. They got some really good receivers. And Matt Corral, the ultimate wild card. 
what were your thoughts on uh, what Rich Rod had to say here? <laughs> Get your ring sized up, Mike. <laughs> yeah, he was not giving that vibe. Uh, this is a. Uh, <laughs> This is something that they're going to be working on all season long. Um, they got a lot of young talent down there. So, yeah, I think he's just trying to get your expectations in the right area. You know, they're going to come out and they're going to have some growing pains, but just hang in there. The product will start getting better. I don't know if they can sustain it. I, th- I think the offense could be something there by the end of the season, but just so many moving pieces, so many young parts. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just don't think it's going to be gangbusters out the gate here. Yeah, I agree. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Baton Rouge. Go Tiger. Where Joe Burrow met with the media here recently, and uh, we don't have a lot to go off here, but I just thought this was kind of important because we kind of hit on this exactly on the previous podcast on the fact that uh, Georgia State obviously running that triple option offense, uh, and Joe Burrow kind of gave his thoughts on not only that, I didn't realize this, Shane, this, this team won 10 games last year. So mm. it's, it's one thing to face a triple option team that, you know, you got to talk yourself into. Well, they could give you, they could test you, <laughs> but this is a team that actually won ten games, so they they know how to run it effectively. And uh, Joe Burrow, obviously on the offense, just talking about how much they're going to really reveal it. And you know, he's already getting the questions, just like we had. Are they already looking ahead to Texas? I mean, <laughs> Joe, Joe Burrow shut that down pretty quick. No, we're going to have to show everything. Uh, Georgia Southern's too good. Um, we can't hold anything back against them. Positions. Humorous that some people might actually think you're looking ahead to Texas. Absolutely, George. I mean, Georgia Southern won 10 games last year. Like, people keep forgetting. You know, Georgia Southern's a really good football team. Won a bowl game. Uh, I think they won their conference. Um, and anytime you go up against a triple option team, you have to come in with with all your guns loaded, and and ready to score on all the possessions that you get because you might not get a lot of possessions. Coach O spoke really highly of their turnover ratio as yeah, well. Yeah, they're number one in the country. They were plus 22, I think, and so we're, that's going to be big for us. You know, their offense isn't going to give away the ball. Um, we're going to have to not give away the ball as well. All right, Shane, so they're not holding anything back in Baton Rouge. At least that's what Joe Burrow's saying now. We know the Tigers are a four-touchdown favorite at, at the moment, but, you know, some really interesting uh, comments here from Joe Burrow. I mean, this kind of echoes what we said yesterday. If The Tigers really need to take this game seriously. Yeah, absolutely, and – You know, one thing I was thinking about is, you know, this is a totally different offense, you know, and a lot of times when you come out with these cupcake teams, not saying that, you know, Georgia Southern's a cupcake team, you know, but they don't have Adrian Peterson down there either. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So what I'm saying is you don't want, I don't think you want to be that conservative when you have a an excellent opportunity to practice your offense and prepare for Texas. So I'm not saying that they're looking for like forward, but I, I do think that this is an opportunity for them to get their offense right before they do face an opponent that can beat them. No, I think that's a good point, Shane. And, you know, like I said, it's really hard to look past someone on the season opener, but I don't know. I just, the more I think about this game, LSU's got to be careful. Guys heard all training camp breaking in a new offensive scheme, obviously. And I think their defense is going to be really good this year, Shane. But they also, one thing we've probably not hit on enough, they're losing Devin White, leader of that defense. I certainly don't think it's going to cripple the defense, but it's going to take time for the other linebackers to emerge and kind of become team leaders. I mean, who's that leader now? Is it Grant Delpit? Just because he's the most outstanding player doesn't mean he's the, the best leader. I'm not yeah. saying that he's not, but that's something that we have to see on the field. So you don't have your uh, you know field general there at middle linebacker, and you're going up against a triple option. Just just watch out, Tiger fans. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and we don't have Gary Danielson to identify it yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shane, let's jump on down to Columbia, South Carolina. Will Muschamp met with the media, and – Man, this guy continues to kind of cut up, and I mean, he's opening with jokes that no one laughed at, and then he he asked everyone to laugh, so they 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 kind of got going there. So Muschamp, I don't think I've ever seen him this loose heading into a season opener, uh, but I think a big reason why, obviously, we've hit on him time and time again, talking about the depth of his team, uh, the linemen. This is going to be the most linemen that South Carolina has felt comfortable with going into the season. But I think the biggest thing for the Gamecocks, if they're going to overachieve, like I think they are, Shane, we've talked all about this line. 
but how does this offense look in the second year under Brian McClendon, Jake Bentley, the progression he made this offseason in his final season here as a Gamecock? Well, a bunch of the guys were saying, you know, this offseason that the the offense is a little bit more aggressive this year. You know, how different is the offense uh, under McClendon in, in year two? And, and where's the line there between sort of being too aggressive and, you know, obviously taking care of the football? You coming on Saturday? Uh, come on, watch it, see what you think. I'm sure I'm sure I'll get your opinion when it's over. But, no, I, I feel like we've done a nice job of, you know, I think in year two as a play caller, you're always more comfortable whether it's on offense, defense, whatever it is, Mike. And and, uh, and I think that uh, you're more comfortable with your players. You're more comfortable schematically. You're more comfortable with your staff. You're more comfortable about the different ideas, the things you feel like can work, the things you don't feel like can work, uh, You know, the throws that can be made, the, the catches that can be made, how well we're going to block up front, how, how well can we protect up front, the backs that we have. I mean, so, again, I don't mean to be rude. I'm just saying that I think it's you have a more comfort level. It's no different than playing as a freshman and being a first-year play caller. The game slows down for you, and you go back through of what you think are important and what you think uh, that you feel like your players can do because it all it always goes back to players, you know. And one of the, things, one of the many things I learned from a guy I used to work for was forget about plays. Think about players and what can they do to be successful. And that's what we try and do here. Well, earlier Jake told us that this is the most confident he's been going into a season. Have there been a couple of moments that illustrate that to you, either at practice or off the field? Well, I think he's had a really good training camp. I think he's very comfortable with what we're doing offensively. Um, I think that uh, you're going into his first year, he didn't play the first six games. So obviously, you know, playing helps. Uh, going into his second year, first year as, as the starter, uh, being the guy. Uh, going into his third year, he's got a new coordinator and some new terminology, some new pieces around him. And I think the familiarity, you know, obviously brings confidence in, in what he's doing. And I think that's what you see right now. But he's had a really good training camp. He's got some, got really good people around him. You, know, you look at Brian and Shy and some of the guys and some of the training camps. Kyle Markway's had a really good camp. I think we've done a nice job up front. The backs have done a nice job. So, um, you know, I think that his familiarity with those guys and what we're doing and where he is right now in his career, having 32 starts, he is, should be confident. All right, Shane. So, Will Muschamp, for a guy that is known as a defensive coach, I mean, he's really positive about his offense going into uh, his fourth year here running the South Carolina program. Yeah, well, the big one, like you said, is second year of this offense. I mean, think about it. How many times have you ever had a new job and you get there and they overload you with all this stuff you got to remember and processes and things like that? You know, you're just trying to just sponge it all in. But once you've got it, then you start addressing those second and third level situations. And I think that's something that Bentley's going to be able to do this year. I think he's going to have a better grasp of this offense. And when they get out, same thing with the offensive line. And now identify problems that they didn't even see last year. So I think uh, I think this is a big year for him, man. And don't forget about Brian McClendon either, Shane. <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, his last name. It's good, Mike. <laughs> All right, Shane, let's jump on down. Oh, wait. Before we leave, did you see the tweet from Joyner today? Yeah, uh, what was that? Game- um, I saw this today. It came up. And they were talking about uh, Joiner actually getting some playing time this Saturday. And, you know, he, again, I've been on Twitter all day long. He said uh, he, he did the 100%, you know, so it just makes it sound like he's going to be there and there's a good chance that we may see him on the field. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, right. Yeah. So Muschamp was asked about that. And he kind of, like you said, he said he's going to play. They asked him, well, where's he going to play? He said, you'll find out on Saturday, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not they're not revealing anything going in this North Carolina game. So that's going to be something interesting to see. Where does Joyner play? Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it'd be pretty neat, Shane. I mean, North Carolina may see this coming, but if he lines up as some kind of receiver or something, I'd like to see like a double pass with him. That's that's what I want to see out of this game. Oh yeah, I want to see it. I want to see a lot of moving pieces. You know, mm-hmm. just confuse Mac Brown over there. I, I want him not to even know what locker room to go in at half. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, final update here on South Carolina. Shannon. I should have mentioned this. Tight end Evan Henson, and Muschamp announced he is transferring 
And he's not even going to play football anymore. Shane's going to play basketball. Mm. And that's wild. And this comes after the news just a week later after Keel Pollard had to medically retire. Uh, this is a, I mean, South Carolina's like down some tight ends now. Um, and they're still waiting. Nick Muse transferred in. He's another one of these guys, Shane. NCAA, I have no idea why they're dragging their damn feet, but uh, Nick Muse, they're hoping to get him a waiver from the NCAA. He, I guess he's behind the line of Aubrey Solomon because we got Solomon News, but we don't have Nick Muse. They, they, they really need that now. They, uh, especially going into the season, they, their tight end depth is really taking a shot here in, in South Carolina. Yeah, no joke. And, and give it up for NCAA wait until damn game week to do something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is a prime example how this how this conference is ran. This is ridiculous. All right, Shane, let's jump all down to the plains. <laughs> Before he gets fired up again. <laughs> War damn eagle. Well, Gus Malzahn met with the media here, and it was interesting, Shane. They put out a depth chart. You know old Gus, he likes to keep it close to the vest. Mm-hmm. It had 19 starters on offense. It had 16 starters on defense. And it had Nick Coe, their defensive end. It had him at outside linebacker. I mean, it was just all over the map here. He had six running backs in the starting lineup. Oh, God, I saw this. <laughs> so he's all over the place with that one, Shane. He tried to he's, – he's doing a little misdirection. Gus can't go into a season having anyone know what's going on. But then in the presser, he did say – Booby Whitlow's a starting running back, so why you got six in the lineup? I do not know. Uh, that does not make a ton of sense, Shane. But I thought the most interesting thing from Gus Malzahn's press conference, talking about Bo Nix and how big a game this is, it almost sounded like uh, Gus Malzahn was trying to psych his young quarterback out heading into the week. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're talking about a true freshman that, you know, his first starts against one of the best teams in the country, college game days there, and Herb Street's doing the game, and it's as big as it gets. But, uh, you know, we need to be really good around him. That's really been our message. Um, you know, I'm just asking him to, to play and uh, to be his self, and, you know, we're going to try to do some things he feels comfortable with. Um, you know, we're, we're taking in a game plan that uh, – really is uh, a lot built around him and what his comfort zone is and everything that goes with it. But, uh, you know, I'm excited for Bo. I know our team is. Um, you know, he's earned the right to, uh, to, uh, to lead us out there. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. One might interpret that to mean that you're going to be very conservative on offense in the first game. No, I wouldn't say that. I don't think against one of the top teams in the country you can just be conservative. I mean, I think there's a fine line, you know, to try to put him in comfortable situations. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it, put him in comfortable situations. But, you know, we're going to have to be balanced uh, to, to, to have a chance to win against one of the top teams in the country. So I wouldn't take that as conservative. Um, you know, that, that probably isn't the, the best word to use. You know, quarterback whisperer. <laughs> All right, Shay's basically he, Malzahn basically threw it on out there. I mean, this is this game literally does not get any bigger. Herb Streep's mm-hmm. there, national audience. It's the marquee game of the week, and here you go, freshman, go handle it. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? You know, it's just. Man, this game's so big, Kurt Herbstreit's here, you know? I mean, that's just where we're at. That's how big this thing is. <laughs> Don't mess up, freshman. <laughs> you know? But I'll Stay tell you close what, to Shane, me, Joey. If Bo Nix delivers in this situation, oh yeah, what what is going to phase this kid? You know what I mean? What do you want to do? You know, because when I hear this, you know, I felt like first two drives, we're going to see a lot of running and a lot of short passes, you know, just to try to build his confidence. Right. But I'd love to see Gus go out there and just freaking throw some verticals. You know what I'm saying? Because they won't be expecting that. And who knows? That's probably the, that may be the plan if Anthony Schwartz was, was a full go. It doesn't, you know, the, yeah. the latest update he said, uh, again, game time decision, essentially. We'll see about that. But the fact that they're saying that kind of tells me that he's probably not going to play. Of course, maybe he wants Oregon thinking that. But if Schwartz right. is in the lineup and his and his hand is completely healed, maybe you do do that, Shane, because there's mm-hmm. no way there's anyone on Oregon can cover this guy on a go route. You know what? Maybe you go to him and say, Odell only needs one hand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> do you want to play on Sunday? Then you get out there and run a vertical for us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Even if it's a decoy. I mean, you talk about stretching a field. Nobody does it better than Schwartz. Just get him out there and let him run verticals. Don't even throw it to him. But that's going to give you a lot of stuff underneath. 
uh, I didn't think of this till just now, Shane, but maybe Malzahn is hyping up this atmosphere, this everything that goes with this game, nationally televised game, to get Bo Nix. You know, maybe they've just got such a great game plan, they're confident in what he can do in his first game. Because you got to look at it like this, Shane. After this, they get some home games that should be some gimmies. Mm-hmm. First road game at Texas A&M here in a couple weeks. And then not far behind that, another road game at Florida. So they maybe they just really need to get this kid's confidence away from the planes, get him ready to, to perform on the field, heading into uh, those two tough road environments. That's a good point, man. It's a very good point. Is this? I mean, is this the game you're looking forward to the most? I mean, there's a lot of great games out there, but is this – I don't think it's mine, but I was just curious if it's yours. Well, I don't want to spoil my prediction or anything just yet, Shane, so I'm not going to get too d- deep mm. into it. But I will, kind of like you, this is not my top game on the board. I'll just say that. Okay. All right. I'm with you. I mean, it's up there. It's up there. Oh, right. yeah, without a doubt. The last thing here on Auburn, Shane, I thought this was kind of interesting, but uh, – because Kevin Steele, he was keeping this damn program afloat last year, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And Gus Malzahn announced a big change here. I can't remember the last time Kevin Steele called the game from the field. And that's what uh, the plan is heading into this year. This Gus Malzahn breaking down why that is right here. Uh, he's going to be on the sideline. So he's going to be on the sideline, and uh, I'm excited about that. And uh, I think that'll be good in a lot of different ways. Um, of course, you know, when I was going against him and he was at Clemson and, and I was a coordinator here, he was on the sidelines and just did a super job with uh, his communication checks and everything that goes with it. And uh, so I think that uh, is going to be a really good move. What's that? Who will be in the press box? Well, Woodson will be in the, the press box, and then, of course, we'll have some off-the-field guys. Was too. that his decision? Yeah, it, it was kind of both. I mean, it was just um, – you know, I think it's it's really, really good in both ways. I like him down there, and he likes being down there. And, you know, in practice, that's that's where everybody's at. And uh, so I think that'll be a really good move moving forward. Actually, I'm not sure what to make of this because, like I said, it's not like Kevin Steele was doing a bad job previously. I thought he was doing a hell of a job. He's been calling the game from the box for a little while here. And, I mean, I guess if you're a coach, you can do it from wherever. But yeah. I, sometimes well, I, you need to see the field, and I, I guess they trust their spotters there to do it up in the box, you know. So he's going to be in the box. No, he. That's where he's old. That's where he's been the last several years, and now he's going moving down to the field. Yeah, see, I, I don't get that. You know, I could understand. Remember, like when Chavis moved to the field, he wanted to be with his team because it was young talent. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to see these kids eye to eye bring him to the side and talk to him. I get that. But, you know, one of the one of the strongest parts of Auburn's defense is – or team is their defense. And you would think, especially this year of all years, he would want to do that from the box. But, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe just doesn't have faith in the assistants that are with him. You know what I'm saying? You said spotters. So maybe he just doesn't feel the, that these guys can – maybe just doesn't have confidence in them. That's, that's what it sounds like to me. Well, I don't know – if confidence is the right word for me, but maybe just the fact that they are replacing a ton of leadership at linebacker. They're going to be starting two players at linebacker that have never started for Auburn, including likely the freshman Owen Popo. So yeah. maybe maybe you're right there. Maybe he does just want to be eye-to-eye with this, these guys to make sure they got their head of the game, they're calling the game right. That kind of makes more sense than anything. Uh, but I, it's kind of interesting Gus did not even mention that. So... Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really sure. I'm, you know, this may not even have a huge impact. I'm not sure, but it's just I just thought it was worth noting. And hell, in three weeks he may be back in the box. It may, like you said, it may be a young thing. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Nashville. Take it down. Where old Derek Mason met with the media here on Tuesday, and a lot going on there. We don't know who the quarterback is. They're not giving that information out. They open against a number three team in the nation. I mean, this is a, about as tough a test as you're going to get week one. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're playing a, you know, you'd like a cupcake week one at home. The, Vanderbilt's getting obviously the opposite of that. But I thought the most interesting thing Derek Mason had to say when he was asked after they released their first depth chart of the season, uh, one of the reporters there noted that, you know, the alignment's a lot different this year. They're going to a 4-3 instead of a 3-4. And I just thought this was a really interesting response here from Derek Mason. 
Derek, I don't know if it means anything, but the depth chart has a has the layout of a four three defense. Right. Is there any kind of message in that? Y'all been four men front, three men front, You've been multiple fronts in the past, but right. are you a four three defense now? Uh, I, I think I think we've morphed that way as our conference has morphed more towards you know playing eleven personnel. I mean, when you start seeing spread personnel, uh, you know, I mean, it morphs you uh, a lot of times out of three-four structure. So, for us, I mean, if you're playing, if you're playing, you know, eighty-five percent of your snaps, ninety percent of your snaps, okay, I mean, in four-three, you know, defense, well, then, you know, I mean, it sort of changes, you know, I mean, the structure of what you are, and that's what we try to recruit. Do you have any update on Malik Langham? No, no updates. I mean, right now, Malik Langham. Uh, you know, when when we get something, we'll let you know. What is, is the hold up there just the NCAA's process? There's there's no obstacles in terms of Florida with that, is there? No obstacles. Uh, you know, for us, um, it's just a process. I mean, anytime you put in a waiver, okay, and you go through the process, the idea is that, you know, I mean, you're really at the hands of, um, of what that process is. Uh, we we sort of prepared to go play a football game, and if Malik Lang was ready, great. If he's not, then we keep moving. So I don't sound like an idiot. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. He was talking about 11-man personnel. What does that mean? 11-man uh, personnel is uh, one tight end and one running back with no fullback. So you're talking about three receivers and everything. Oh, but I mean, that's not that. – who said that's the rule? I never heard of that. So when you have 11-man personnel, mm -hmm. you're saying that you have one tight end, three receivers – that's 11-man personnel? Yeah. Huh. Never the, the, knew that. The numbers go with um, the tight end and the running back. So if you hear 21 personnel, that's two tight ends and one running back. If you hear 12 personnel, that's one tight end and two running backs. Yeah. I did not know that. Hell, I've been – we did not go over that in high school, buddy. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, maybe we talk about that because I'm – yeah, there. Yeah, that's fine. We can get into that. Maybe we, maybe we are talking about it. I don't know. Include this in the thing. So why he's referencing it is obviously just his defense having to match the personnel that's on the field, <laughs> and I think you know, kind of what he's hitting on is the fact that with these offenses evolving to where you know traditionally twenty years ago you got three receivers on the field that means you're gonna throw it every time, but mm -hmm. now with the RPO. And all this, and you know, run pass option and whatnot. You just don't know what the offense is doing, but you you can't have you can't have a, a if you if you have a pass defense out there, they're just going to run all over you. You got a run yeah. defense out there, they're just going to throw all over you. So you kind of have to be multiple. And really, why I really like what he had to say here, though, Shane, is because obviously the SEC East has changed in recent seasons. Right. We got uh, at Florida, Georgia in Tennessee, and to an extent South Carolina, they're all kind of running a 3-4 defense. So Mason, that's kind of what he wants to run, but he's switching back to the 4-3 just because it's different. It's not what these a lot of these SEC East teams are used to seeing. And I think that's what you got to do, man. you got to be – even if it's not what you are necessarily like your system that you grew up in, mm -hmm. you've got to adapt – to not only your personnel, but what the rest of the division is doing. And at a school like Vanderbilt, you're not going to beat Georgia and Florida doing what they do. you got to beat them by doing right. it a, a little different. And that's that's kind of what I picked up on here, and that's why I thought this was uh, just a really I interesting segment of what Mason had to say here. It's like the triple option of defense, Mike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you, you don't prepare for often, and so when you do – you know, it, it is different. So this is, I think, a very smart move. And, you know, Mason's a – he's a defensive guru. So this is, a, I think, a smart move. Mm he -hmm. got me at that 11 personnel, though, because I was like, we've always had 11 people, coach. You know, that's how <laughs> football works. <laughs> uh, I'm like I'm like uh, Brett Favre when he learned what Nickelback was, you know. <laughs> I'm like, that's what it is. Okay. All right, man. Always learning, baby. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Columbia, Missouri. M-I-Z! Barry Odom met with the media today as well. Uh, we didn't really get a good audio clip from this guy. He didn't really say anything too interesting, I didn't think. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he did note that uh, I think he's a third-string quarterback now, Lindsey Scott from Last Chance U, East uh, Mississippi Community College. He's leaving the program. And I think that's kind of uh, – 
that's kind of what you were expect when they got Kelly Bryant. I mean, that's that was going to squeeze someone out. They actually got a TCU quarterback named Robinson as well. So when they're bringing in two <laughs> transfer quarterbacks, that kind of I, I don't think Scott meshed well with Derek Dooley's system would be my assumption there. So makes sense that he would leave there. Uh, but this was pretty interesting, Shane. Missouri announced on Tuesday that the 2020 home game against Arkansas, which is always the last game of the season for Missouri, they're going to play it at Arrowhead Stadium where the Chiefs play. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of interesting because Arkansas has been flipping that game between Little Rock and Fayetteville here recently. So uh, this, uh, I know Arkansas fans and Missouri fans don't like to look at this as a rivalry, but I think it's slowly, very slowly developing into one. I think it's mm-hmm. kind of cool that it's getting, you know, it'll be in Fayetteville and Columbia and Arrowhead and Little Rock. I, I just kind of makes it kind of unique. Yeah, I like that. I, I like that. It's just And, too, it's going to get different fans at the game each time they play. So, no, I like this. I think it's a good move. Exactly. Now, let's jump on down here to Derek Dooley, Shane, Missouri offensive coordinator. And guess what he's talking about, Shane? Soldiers. <laughs> and the damn altitude. And the damn altitude. <laughs> I mean, well, we can't fly into the mountains and train them. You know what I mean? I think it was Churchill, and he say when you fight in the Nordic, you got to train in the Nordic. But we can't do that, all right? So we can't just take our team and go, let's train in the altitude for a week. But there are things you can do hydration-wise, uh, you know, taking care of your body, and just recognizing that, you know, probably in pregame you're going to breathe a little bit. It's just wind, and then we'll be fine. So it's only a problem if you make it a problem. All right, Shade, so – this was the same game last year. I was all concerned about the wind and the rain and the cold and all this, and it, and that was just an idiotic move by my part. But this seems to be a real concern. This is something that Barry Odom brought up today. This is something, obviously, Derek Dooley brought up here. Uh, thoughts on uh, going up and Missouri playing in the altitude first game of the season. Something about Derek always like, man. You know, <laughs> like I gave him a hard time while he was here, and I still, I'm always like, I don't, I don't think Derek likes football. You know what I'm saying? I think he was like a like a toy soldier and you know, probably a train set. You know, Barber probably got him a train set and then Vince comes in and sees it and just breaks it and gives him a football <laughs> and tells him get out the yard, you little you little baby. You know, that's that that feels like the the way Derek maybe grew up down there. So uh I just love when he goes back and does these history references and stuff, but this is smart. I mean you, you can't prepare for altitude. It's not like we got it in the budget that we can just go up to the Alps and <laughs> throw the football around. You know what I'm saying? So uh, he says it's just wind, you know. <laughs> All right, final thing here on Missouri, Shane. I thought this was kind of interesting, but uh, the AD down there at Missouri, Jim Sturick, he jumped on a local radio station here, 610 Sports Radio out of Kansas City, and he gave the latest on Mizzou's bowl ban and – the recent events at Mississippi State and how he believes that'll help Missouri's case. So we're we're expecting a decision at any time. So uh, we we had our in-person uh, appeal and and the basically the time frame is anywhere from two weeks to, to three months. So we don't know. Um, I would guess that sometime here in, in September, um, we'll, we should have a decision. But it, it could leak into October. I, I'm just not sure. But I would expect it sometime in, in September. Most recently, last Friday, they, they had a decision on Mississippi State. Uh, very, very similar um, circumstances and, and violations. And, and so uh, didn't, there wasn't a, a, a bull ban uh, or a postseason for, for, uh, for the other sports as well. So, so I think it, it lends itself to having an opportunity for them to make the right decision and, and come down with a decision that's, that's better for Mizzou and better for the membership of the NCAA. All right, Shane. So it sounds like they're any day now, any week now, they don't really have a firm timeline, but they do have a kind of a loose timeline here, I guess you could call it. They're expecting NCAA to make a decision. And kind of like you hit on, I mean, as soon as Mississippi State deal went down, it seemed like you went straight to Missouri <laughs> and how it should help the Tigers. I mean, I don't think how I, – I don't understand how anyone could not see that, and it sounds like that's what uh, the AD here at Missouri is, is kind of on the same page. Yeah, he's been texting me all morning, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I know, dude. I get it, right? <laughs> Make it right, you know, hashtag. So, anyway, I, I think uh, 
this couldn't have played out better for Missouri. No, no offense, Mississippi State. I mean, honestly, Mississippi State made it out like a bandit. But mm-hmm. the fact that that happened, and here's Missouri trying to get a pill for the same situ- typically the same situation. You know, uh, I think this is perfect for them. And they said something. I thought it was good. I thought we were going to hear something sooner than later. You know, uh, right. the timeline's not matching up with what I originally heard. But I thought we should hear something here at the first of September. But I guess we'll see. All right, Shane, that's that's all I got around the league. Before we jump off here, I want to throw these odds at you. The online sportsbook, sportsbetting.ag, they've come out with odds, Shane, for the first college coach to be fired. And Ooh. we've got odds for every single SEC coach. Uh, so I'm gonna Can I guess? Yeah. Can I guess who's first? Well, let's go the very oh. – you can guess, but I'm just going to tell you just to give you a, an idea here. The number one guy on this list of if the entire nation. Now, keep in mind, this is not odds to be fired. This is odds to be fired before anyone else. Oh, okay. The USC coach Clay Helton's at five to one, so he's the he's number one in the nation. So we'll go down the list here, Shane. Who do you think is number one on this list uh, with the best odds to be fired first in the nation? Oh, in the nation. Oh, well, I, I hope I, it's Jim Harbaugh. I, no, I, I mean, sorry. Oh. <laughs> I just wanted to give you that five to one oh, so okay. you have a baseline. But, yeah, uh, so which SEC coach tops the okay. list to be fi- – we're going to do all the SEC coaches here. Which okay. which SEC coach tops the list most likely to be fired first? Uh, as much as I want to say Gus, I'm going to have to go Coach Luke on this one. Ooh, you had it right the first time, Shane. It's always oh, man. Gus Malzahn. And he had, you want to take a guess on the odds? And keep in mind, so Clay Hilton was at 5-1. to one, So Gus Malzahn is going to be a little bit higher than that. Uh, what are your What's your guess for the Auburn coach? 10-1. Uh, to one. Boom, you nailed it. Perfect. 10-1 to one mm. right there. Uh, this was fascinating. I don't know where they're getting this, Shane. But if things go sideways, you'll never get this one. Number two. Is your, your favorite? Who's your favorite coach in the SEC? Oh, Coach O. Coach O listed at fourteen to one. First coach oh, fired. Really? I don't know where they're getting that. Maybe they think if they they lose to this triple option team, they lose to Texas. I still don't think they'd fire him. You know, I think no, I think I, they, I think they'd let it play it out. So that was interesting. Uh, third on the list here, Shane Derek Mason, twenty-two to one. And then that's the same odds for old Chad Morris, Shane. 22 to 1. I'm still surprised. Now we get down to Matt Luke, 25 to 1. That, uh, those are not, that's that's, that's not good odds there, I don't think. Don't you, well, I mean, think about it. 25 to 1. Mm-hmm. So if you make a bet, you have, you're betting on the first one in the entire in, in NCAA, right? Right. Not just the SEC. Okay. Yeah, it just it feels like Coach Luke. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like he would be up there just because of the coordinators he has. Right. You know. But okay. All right. I was just curious. And then we got Barry Odom, Shane, next on the list. That's kind of odd. Twenty-eight to one. Hmm. Then we got your boy Jeremy Pruitt, thirty-three to one. Will okay. Muschamp, forty to one. And that's the hmm. same as Joe Moorhead, forty to one. And then all the way down here, Mark Stoops, fifty to one. I would think Stoops is one of the most safe coaches in the SEC. I don't I don't agree with him being this high on the list. I do too. Dan Mullen, seventy-five to one. Jimbo Fisher, they'd owe him eighty million dollars. He's a, he's a hundred to one. Kirby Smart, one hundred twenty-five to one. And then my favorite, Shane, I've already put money on this just because, you know, if I hit the lottery, this is this is gonna be it right here. Nick Saban, first coach to be fired, two hundred and fifty to one. <laughs> Golly. You know, I don't think he I would honestly say Stoops has the safest job in the SEC right now. I mean, even more than Saban. If Saban drops, let's just say this, if Saban drops five games, mm-hmm. I mean, there could be a chance he's gone, you know, maybe come out a health issue or something like that. They'd be, they, think, they'd be calling Dabo as soon as they could. You know what? Yeah. I mean, I could see that. <laughs> I, and then I, I would say, so I would say Stoops, because I honestly, I think Stoops could lose 10 games and they'd bring him back next year. You know what I'm saying? All right. Yeah. So. Just because they, they know what they can get from him. So that's, I would say Stoops has the safest job, then Saban, and then, uh, 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 what's his name? Kirby. 
Kirby, yeah, Kirby and yeah. Jimbo, I think, has got to be right up there, too. But I think Pruitt's safer than uh, Muschamp and uh, definitely Mullen, you know. Uh, Florida's crazy. Florida wants to win. And, uh, you know, it almost got ugly week one or week zero. Wait, so Jeremy Pruitt coming off five and seven is safer than Dan Mullen coming off ten and three? Oh, without a doubt, man. <laughs> Telling you. Yeah, not even close. The Tennessee Homer has spoken. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, think about this, Mike. We won five games. Go with me here for a second. We won five games last year. Mm-hmm. If we win four games this year, which is horrible, we he's still coming back, baby. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're not going to fire him. They've done this. They've done the coaching search. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're they're out of that picture. Now, if Dan goes from 10 wins to four wins, he's gone. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? I just think there's more pressure on Mullen than there is Pruitt. It's not that I think the job – I mean, it's, it's, it's different climates right now. Yeah, I feel you because I'm, I'm not comparing these guys, so don't – I, yeah. I don't want this to get put out there and, and saying I'm comparing these two guys, but I thought Jim McElwain's job was pretty damn safe coming off back-to-back East titles, and then one bad year, <laughs> one fake death threat, his ass is gone. So I, I see what you're saying. Now, that that makes a little bit more sense, but I still think Dan Mullins uh, – because I, I don't know. I, I still don't know if we know Jeremy Pruitt's that good a head coach, to be honest with you, so – I would say Mullen is, is safer than until Pruitt kind of proves it a little bit more as a head coach. I got you. All right, Shane. So I think that's going to do it for us, unless you got anything before we hop off here. Uh, no, I think um, tomorrow is big, man. We're going we're gonna to be talking to another football game, man. We got, we're going to be talking up Texas uh, A&M and Texas State. Is that right? Sinbad's team. So we'll be talking about them and, uh, what they could do, and um, interesting enough, uh, they did play back in 2005. Done a little research on this game, so and uh, wasn't a ball game then. Won't be one this time, but still be fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to that, Mike. And uh, please, uh, if you made it this far, a little rating and review on iTunes really helps us out. We got a, uh, I think we got like four ghost reviews. So I appreciate whoever that was. Uh, five star ratings that really does help us out a lot. Yeah, as Shane says, you give us a rating we'll give and a review. We'll read it here on the podcast. doesn't matter really what it says. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, that, hey. that gives you a little motivation there. If you, if you want to give us a rating review, it really does help the podcast grow. And yeah. uh, that, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. It's, it's so does tweeting at us. You know, if you want to tweet at the show, uh, we'll try to, you know, include it if it's a mailbag question. Uh, same thing with the Reddit page. Mark. Uh, handles the Instagram. I'm not too good at the gram there. Afraid I'm going to like something I shouldn't, so I don't get on there because I, I still just don't understand that technology. But other than that, yes, uh, <laughs> if you tweet at the show, we'd lo- that really does help and spread the word. So just that anything, man. That, all right, I'm rambling. Mm-hmm. All right, cut me off. <laughs> all right, Shay, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.